0: Let's jump in. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. We'll actually finish chapter 6 today as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount. And today we talk about everybody's favorite subject, your money, and the stuff that it buys you. And I know as soon as we say we're going to start talking about money, people check out and... um, Invariably, they get a little frustrated at the church because the church always wants to talk about money. Listen, we haven't talked about money in a long time, and we're only talking about it today because Jesus did, right? We're just going through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where it comes up, but I get it, right? All throughout history, and it was true with the Pharisees, right? Absolutely true with the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, and it's been true of Every church age and every type of church throughout the course of history, right? There have been people in leadership that have been corrupted by money, and they've used their position for financial benefit, right? They've used their position to um, accumulate money and power. And they've lorded it over people. And so we understand why this is a tricky subject for the church to address at times. Because the church hasn't always been great at this. That's why it's so great when we can go back to the word of God and say, not, not what does the church say about this, but what does Jesus Christ have to say about this? And let's dig into what Jesus has to say. And what Jesus is going to tell us today is something really, really clear. What he's going to say is that your money isn't really important. Your stuff's not important. Having money isn't bad. Not having money isn't bad. The money and the stuff isn't the issue. The issue is and has always been your heart. That's the way it is. The issue is and always has been your heart. See, because here's what it is we live in constant tension, because we are physical creatures. We are in a physical world. Therefore, we are worried about physical things. Some people on the, on the poorer end of the spectrum are worried about things like shelter and clothing and food and sustenance. Just enough to get by for today. Luckily... Most of us aren't in that position. But on the other end of the spectrum, people still worry about it, right? Because then we're worried about the toys that it gets us, the size of the house, the type of meals, the kinds of vacations, the type of retirement, all of those things. See, what happens is we, we tend to focus on money. We're physical creatures, and physical creatures that live in a physical world focus on money. physical material things. That shouldn't be a surprise. But then along comes the cross. And for the Christian, what's happened is we've knelt at the cross and we've said, listen, this physical life that we're living is not what life is really about. And we've confessed our sins and we've been new by the Holy Spirit. And we actually now have become Listen, once you become a Christian, you are born again, spiritually. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. You are no longer a physical being, at least not alone. You're now spiritual. Whereas you used to have your mind set on worldly things, now, Paul tells us in Scripture, your mind is to be set on heavenly things, on the things above. And this is the tension we live in. We've grown up always rooted in this physical world. The physical world still calls to us like a siren song. It is begging us to come after it. But yet Jesus has saved us from that and says, now set your minds on the things above. And we live in the tension. Jesus knows that we live in the tension. God knows this. That's why he talks so much about money in scripture. It's not because he, he needs your money, right? It's because he knows we live in this tension. Jesus shares 34 parables in the New Testament. 16 of them, over 40%, 16 of them have to do with money. One in every 10 New Testament verses is, has something to do with money or possessions, When you look throughout all of Scripture, there are about 500 verses that talk about faith. There are about 2,000 that talk about money and possessions. And again, it's not because God wants your stuff. It's His anyway. It's because God knows that you're living in this tension. You're in the physical world, right? But you're supposed to be focused on heavenly things. Yet we still need physical things to survive in this world. And so there's this constant draw and wrestling back and forth. This is why Jesus says this in in, in John 17. He says, listen, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's praying for you in this, by the way. He's praying for his disciples. And he says that he's also praying for everybody that will believe through the ministry of his disciples. We are included in that. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. right? I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one and what the evil one wants to do. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Where do we belong? We belong to heaven. That's why Paul says, fix your mind up here. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. There's this thing, and we Christians, we say it all the time without really thinking about what it means. We want to be in the world, but not of it. It's one of these Christian phrases that we like to throw out. Oh, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? Except, yeah, we kind of are sometimes. Right? Because when we are so focused on our physical things and the material things that we're losing sight of the heavenly things, that means we're being of the world. But Jesus said that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be in it, but not of it. We're supposed to be in the world and operating in the world while fixating on heavenly things. And this is what we try to wrestle with. right? But but for better or worse, here's the deal. And Jesus knows it, and that's what he gets into here as as we get into the scriptures in, in Matthew 6. For better or worse, for better or worse, money and possessions will shape your heart. If you long for them, And you strive after them. And they become. Here's what happens. We'll see this in the word. Here's what happens. They become your idol. Right? When the thing that you are most concerned about. Is money and the stuff that it provides you. Whether you have a lot or not. If that's the thing you're most concerned with. Then that will shape your heart away from God. But. If you see all of those things, the money, the possessions, as an opportunity to seek after God and to be his proxy and to do things in his name, then that will shape your heart in a heavenly way. And this is what Jesus is laying before. So let's dig in. Matthew 6, we're going we're to look at uh, uh, 11, no, 14 verses today. We'll get there, I promise. Uh, but it starts with these three um, don 't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat, rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal, but store treasures in heaven where moths and rust can 't destroy thieves do not break in and steal because wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be so this is this is it as Jesus lays this out now remember what he 's doing at this section is he 's saying. Now, because of your heart that is supposed to be dedicated to Jesus, right? He just went through all the heart shifts in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you're blessed. This is the blessed life. You need that to be rooted in God. You need it to be rooted in me. It needs to go through the cross. That's the blessed life. And if you're living the blessed life, then you're going to be careful about these things. You're going to reframe your heart so that your heart is attuned with God's. And that will have behavior flow from it. And in that, he's getting to money. And he says, so, so if your heart is right, then you will not store up for yourself treasures here on earth. If your heart is right, then you won't spend all of your time, effort, and energy collecting things here on earth. But instead, if your heart is right, what you will do is you will make intentional decisions to store those treasures in heaven because there they're safe, right? And, and then he says this thing, where your treasure is, your heart is going to be there. Now, this isn't a hard command to figure out. We may not always believe it. We may not always want to hear it, but it's not a hard thing to figure out. Don't store up your treasures here in heaven. By the way, this is not a command that says you should be poor, Jesus never, ever, ever, ever teaches spirituality through poverty. He just doesn't teach it. Jesus never teaches that for you to be spiritual, you have to be poor. One time in Scripture, one time in Scripture, Jesus did say to someone who wanted to follow him, first, go sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, then come follow me. One time he said that. And he said that to that, that young man because that young man had created an idol for himself. And that idol was his money and everything it got him. And what Jesus was saying to that young man was listen, if you truly want to follow me, you can't have any other God but me. So you got to get rid of that idol. But Jesus didn't tell everybody that wanted to follow him that they needed to go sell everything. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't require you to give up everything to follow him, but he does require. He commands obedience regardless of the cost. He commands you to be obedient no matter what it costs. But please don't sit here thinking, oh, wait, man, I, I just got a new car, so now that's wrong. I've been saving up for a new place. I can't do that and follow Jesus. Well, we were going to take a trip, but we might as well cancel the trip because there's no way we can go on a trip and still love Jesus. That's not what Jesus ever says. He doesn't tell you that, that you have to live a life of poverty, but he does tell you that you have to be obedient. And what he is saying is you cannot have idols. Listen, some of you, and you know your own heart what this is. Some of you hoard The idea of being generous is abhorrent to you because you would prefer to have more and more and more in your safety net because it provides for you and it keeps you safe. Some of you are flat broke because whatever you get, you spend willy-nilly. You're just out spending on things that probably you don't need selfishly so that you can just enjoy today and not even worry about what's next. God's not asking you to give up everything, but God is asking you to be mindful, to be obedient. Hoarding is not obedient. Extravagance isn't obedience. When we hoard or we live extravagantly without being generous, what happens is we've become bad stewards. Remember the idea of stewardship. Stewardship basically means it was never yours to begin with. This is the example I've used before, and I'm sure there's better ones, but this is the one that always pops in my head, right? If I give Travis 20 bucks, this would have been a long time ago when movies were cheaper. Never mind, I gave Travis 50 bucks because movies are pricey. And I say, Travis, you and Aubrey are going to go to the movies. Here's the money for it. Whatever change is left, right? Pay for the tickets and whatever change is left, you go and, and split it with Aubrey so that you can both buy snacks at the concession stand, right? And you're thinking, man, he is really generous. I'm a generous guy. So I give Travis that $50 and he buys the tickets, right? And, and then he tells Aubrey, sorry, this is all mine. And he buys himself popcorn and nachos and a pop, and that's it, because stuff's really expensive at the movie theater. But Aubrey gets nothing. Travis was a bad steward of what I gave him because I gave it, yes, Travis, I want you to enjoy it, but I also want you to use it to bless other people. We would say he was a very poor steward of what he was given. And when we hoard for ourselves instead of being generous, I'm not talking about saving, but I'm talking about hoarding, and there's a difference, right? When we hoard instead of being generous, or when we live extravagantly and then find out that we can't be generous because there's nothing left, we do have a father in heaven that says, that's not what I gave that to you for. Yes, you were to use it to live and for your enjoyment, but also you were to be generous with it. But that's what he's saying. When he talks about storing up treasures for ourselves on earth, he's talking about hoarding or being extra extravagant and having no generosity in our lives at all. And when that happens, here's what he says. He says, you're storing up treasures on earth and they will not last. Now he uses a couple of analogies that may not make sense to us. He's like, well, um, moths will eat. You're like, moths going to eat my money, right? My money's on a debit card. Ain't no moth going to eat my debit card. Rust will destroy, right? Like, okay, so most of, in that age, right, most of the money was wrapped up in clothing, metals, or grain, right? And so it would not be uncommon for moths to be an issue, right? It would not be uncommon for rust to be an issue, um, for, for vermin or whatever to get in and eat grain, for mold to happen, these things. And so the, the basic point that he's making is, look, you can't guarantee this. It won't last forever, It just won't. This stuff won't last. Listen, I don't know what you're doing with your cash, but it probably won't last forever either. Housing markets crash. Bubbles burst. Banks go under. My Ryan Sandberg rookie card that used to be worth like $80 that I got when I was 12 and felt really good about it is now worth like $4. i am holding on to it. I think it's going to come back. They don't last. And here's the thing. Even if they maintain their value all of my life, I'm going to die. And so by nature, even if it maintains its value all of my earthly life, I'm going to die, and it will then be worthless to me. He says, instead... Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. He says this is, this is just a simple dichotomy, right? For better or worse, money will shape your heart, right? It tells the tale of your heart. You can either store up treasures for yourself here on earth, or you can store up treasures in heaven where those treasures will outlast your earthly life and they will have benefit for all of eternity, And you're like, there it is. There's the pitch. Matt's asking for for you to give all your money to church so you can have treasures in heaven. No, he's not. Do I want you to fund the ministry of the church? Yes, that's why we have offering boxes. Um, When you give generously to the church, the church is on mission. Things like faith in action or these other things that we do, absolutely that's important. That's why God commands a tithe. But we're actually talking about more than that. We're talking not about your tithe. We're talking about your other 90% here. I mean, I I want you to grasp that, right? Like, like God commands a tithe, right? And so we're talking about being generous in what we give to the church, yes, but then God is also talking about a lifestyle of generosity that has to do with the other 90% of the funds that he's giving you. And he wants you to steward those on his behalf. You're like, well, how do I do that? How do I store up treasures for myself in heaven? You invest, But maybe instead of investing in Blockbuster, because here's the thing, if you invest in Blockbuster, you lost all your money. Instead of investing in that, how many of you at one point in time owned stock in Blockbuster? Anybody? Because that's sad. How many of you still have a Blockbuster card? Just because. It's actually my credit card. I just put a sticker on the front. So, but listen, you could invest in Blockbuster and you could hope, but God says, no, no, no. I want you to invest your treasures in heaven where they will be secure for your entire eternity. How do we do that? Well, we give generously. Youth for Christ. Right? when I invest in Youth for Christ or um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes or Matt Klein, who was a missionary in Turkey for a long time and is now doing ministry here in the States, when, when I invest in Navigators, right? in, uh, um, in Cedar Rapids working with college students, when we do those things, right, we're investing in eternity. We're using the resources God has given us to steward. Yes, we're using them for our own physical needs, for our enjoyment, right? for our retirement even. But we're also investing them in a way that pays dividends to the kingdom. And he says, that will last. That's the promise he's making. And, and the reason it matters so much is because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It all starts with the heart. But there's something interesting here. He doesn't say, like everything else, he's like, where your heart is, your behavior will follow. Right? That's what he says for all of these other things. If your heart is right, then your prayers will be right. If your heart is right, your fasting will be right. If your heart is right, all of these other things will be true. Here he kind of flips it. He says, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will naturally go. Anybody here um, suffer from Myopia. Just a fancy word for short-sightedness. Short-sightedness, right? You know how this works. You can see everything in front of you, but you really struggle seeing things that are further away. It's not just an eye condition. But that's a spiritual condition as well. And there are a lot of us. We are so focused on what's happening right now. We are so focused on the things that we want right now. We're so focused on what we can have today that we forget to look far about what happens next about how God has blessed us and how we can be a blessing to others and how we can carry that into eternity. It's not that we don't care, right? I mean, like when when we say, listen, we we want to steward our things so that we can have these treasures in heaven and so that we can bring people into the kingdom and so we can share the gospel. There's nobody that's saying that's a terrible idea. Like, yeah, we care about that. It's just that what happens tomorrow we care more about we're short-sighted. Because you only live once. We've got this fear of missing out on some activity or some experience. Like, what if I don't get to do that? Listen, what if I never get to Disney World? Because I've never been to to Disney World. And I think it would be fun to go to Disney World, but I've never been. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to get there. And I want to get there. And so If I focus on that, I don't really, but if I focus on that, then that's short-sighted and it's going to drive everything. But whatever roller coaster I'm going to miss out on at Disney, I'm betting God will have a better one in heaven. I'm betting David could design it. Not well, but it's heaven and I can't get hurt. We could do a thing. Right? This is the point. If I'm so focused on short-sighted things, then my heart will be in short-sighted things. This This is all Jesus is trying to say. If you're focused on right now, then your heart will always be thinking about right now, and your heart will never be thinking about eternity. It's not that you're mad at attorney. It's not that you don't think it matters. It's not that it's not important to you. It just is secondary. And God doesn't want it to be secondary. He says, store your treasures there, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And then he he says some other things here that kind of expand on these three verses. He says this one that if you've ever read this, you're like, that's weird. And it is, but I'll explain it. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And so he's just expanding on those three verses, and, and, and he's just changing metaphors, right? He's saying, okay, so, so it's like your, your body, right? And, and your eye, right? That, that's kind of like your heart. And if your heart is right, then, then light will come out of it, and you will do worthwhile things. You'll steward what I've given you very well. But If your eye is unhealthy, if your heart is not where it should be, then that's going to be darkness instead. And and he says this interesting thing here. One of the the most interesting things in this whole passage of Scripture is that right there in the second half of verse 23. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. There are a lot of us, Because we feel blessed financially, because we feel blessed financially, there are a lot of us who assume that's evidence that we're doing it right. We assume that's evidence that God is pouring these things out on us because he is pleased with us. And the problem with that is that God may not be pleased with us. But God doesn't say, if I'm not pleased with you, I'm going to strike you with poverty. And so some of us, we, we feel like we've got this right. We feel like we're in a perfect spot. We feel like it's light and our heart is good. But really, it's not. It's dark. And what Jesus is saying is if you're confused about that, if you think that you're living right and you're li- really living wrong... How tragic is that? He's like, because at least people that know they're wrong, listen, at least people that know they're wrong, they know the path to getting it right. What's the path to getting it right? They've got to change what they're doing and they've got to go a different way. But if you're going the wrong way, but you actually think it's the good way, what hope is there for you to get off that road? If you're going the wrong direction, but you think you're going the right direction, your GPS lied to you. Ever happened to you? Like you're going in a direction you think it's right and then you're, 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 you're a long ways before you realize you're wrong. That's what happens. Carrie did that once, right? She was, when Riley first moved to Ankeny, she put in her GPS and she was going to Riley's new apartment in Ankeny. It just was the wrong city. And it took her an hour in the wrong direction. But she didn't course correct because the whole way there she thought she was going the right way. If we're doing that with our souls, if we're doing that with following God, like we think we're good, we think we have this light, we think our heart is right, but it turns out, no, it's really darkness. Jesus is like, whoa, how deep and tragic that darkness is why we have to listen carefully to the things he says. And we can't make light of them. We can't treat them too softly. And he says, look, nobody can serve two masters. I'm like, man, that that sounds really unreasonable. Sure it is, right? It's really strict. No one can serve two masters because you'll hate one and love the other. Or or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Listen, you can be wise with money. You can be prudent with money. You can do all of the right things with money. But when you become enslaved to it, you have now engaged in idol worship. When money owns your thoughts, it owns your attention, it owns your, your, your passions, you have become enslaved to an idol. And you might think you're in a good spot, but how deep that darkness is. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't serve two. You've got to decide. And you've got to decide because they're diametrically opposed. Right? One demands that you walk by faith. God demands that you walk by faith. Money demands that you walk by sight. you got to see it. you got to know it. you got to feel confident in it. One demands that you fixate on things above, heavenly things. The other demands that you fixate on, on things in the moment. One demands that you trust God. The other demands that you trust yourself. This is the issue. When you're following money instead of God, stuff instead of God, that's all about you. It's not about God, but it's about you. It puts all the pressure on you to be the Lord of your own life. You have to provide. You have to take care. You have to make sure. And this is where he goes next. He says, look, that's why I tell you. He's like, he moves from that. Like, you can't love God and love money. You'll hate one and love the other. You have to pick. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He says, that's why I'm telling you, don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat or enough to drink or what clothes you'll wear. Because life is more than that. He's like, I'm telling you that where your heart is, is important. And if your heart is wrapped up in your treasure, if your heart is wrapped up in your worldly stuff, then it's in the wrong place. That's darkness, and it's deep, and you got to get out of there. And he says, so I'm giving you the roadmap. Stop worrying about this stuff. You're like, but Matt, if I don't worry about what we're going to eat, then it won't work well, and I have a family to feed, and I have to worry, and it would be foolish not to plan for retirement. Yes, be wise, Jesus isn't saying don't be wise, but he's saying don't worry, don't stress, don't fixate on, don't necessarily be motivated by. Because if that's what you're worried about, life is so much more than that. When he says life is so much more than that, he's talking about the reason you exist. You do not exist to figure out where you'll get your next meal. And he's literally talking to people that are trying to figure out well, where they will get their next meal. He's talking to people that if their clothes wear out, then they may have to skip some meals to go buy more clothes. We don't have that issue, but it still translates the same. And if we are so worried about our, our material needs, that that is our focus, then we've lost sight of what life really is, because life is more than that. God says, I made you for more than that. It's not just about your stuff. Life is more than food, or your body is more than clothing. This is about what I created you to be. I made you new in Christ to do the work I created for you long ago. To be on mission, to share the gospel, to be generous. Everything you have, God says, everything you have, I gave you. Life is more than, than where you're going to sit down for your next meal. Life is more than that. He's like, I gave you life so that you could steward it well on my behalf. It's more than, than, than making sure that you've got this stuff. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Right? They don't work hard, but they're taken care of. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? The answer is yes. And, and all your worries aren't doing a thing to add a single day to your life. Worry, it, worry actually chokes out faith. Think of it like a weed. When weeds grow up among your plants, right, they choke out the plants. They take all of the nutrients and all of the oxygen, your oxygen, all, all of the whatever they breathe, Carbon dioxide. thank you, I failed, biology. Um, Turns out you don't need that to be a pastor until just this moment. But let's forget it. Weeds will choke all of that out. That plant won't thrive. It won't be what it's supposed to be. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses for worry. That's what these worries are. They choke out your life. It says your life is more than what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your life is so much more than that. Look at the birds. They don't worry about any of this, and God takes care of them. But you worry about it, and it doesn't add a single thing to your life. It's not like you have more because you worry more. In fact, you have less because you worry more. Because God isn't blessing that, and it's robbing you. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, won't he certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? This is the issue. When it comes to to this hoarding or when it comes to this anxiety about having enough, What God is saying about that is that that is so little faith. Listen, when you worry about these things, you actually are, and I know this will sound strong, but listen, God isn't trying to soft sell this. He's being clear. When you worry about these things, you are actually insulting God. You're actually insulting God. Because what you're saying is, God, I'm not sure, I'm not sure you can take care of it. So I better worry about it. I better fixate on it. Because if I leave it to you, it might fall through the cracks. I'll deal with it. I'm not sure that you'll provide for me the way that I think I need to be provided for. So I will worry about it. I'll take it on my own. That's not what God wants. He says, don't do that. Listen, God, he says... I, I take care of the birds. I take care of the wildflowers. Are you kidding me? I made you primary over all of creation. I made you in my image. I sent my son to die for you. Do you not think I will take care of you? So there is this weird spot that we have to get to. Because I'm not saying go home and stop following a budget. I'm not saying you should never save for retirement again, although my retirement plan is the rapture. I'm holding out hope. I'm either going to work a really long time or the rapture is coming. That was a joke. I do save for retirement. But there's this really weird spot that we have to get to where we have been wise and we've done everything we can to be wise. And then we let it go. And most people struggle to let it go. We go to work, right? Because if you don't work, you don't eat. We go to work. We're not just sitting around not working saying, God, you promised to feed me. No, we work. We're not just sitting around hoping our, our tires don't go flat because we said, God, you promised to provide what I need today, so I didn't bother to worry about it. No, of course. We we make sure that we're ready for emergencies if possible. We do those things. That's wisdom. But once we've done what is wise, it's time to be done and trust God. Most of us, we either don't even be wise and we throw our hands up and say, God, where are you? Or we don't know when to let go. But God says, listen, why worry? You can't add a single day and so little faith. So, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? Or when will I have a vacation? Or what if my car breaks down? Or, or what about retirement? Or, or, or what about when it's time for us to need a bigger place because we're having um, our, our, our eighth kid? Or whatever it might be. Says, so stop worrying about that. Those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And of course, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Of course they do. Because who will take care of it if they don't? For unbelievers, they're not trusting in a God. They're not trusting in, in their Father in heaven. They haven't put their faith in Him. They're not following Him. So they have to strive and they have to worry about these things because if they don't worry about these things, nobody is. But but Jesus is like, but that's not the way it's supposed to be for you. Those are the thoughts of unbelievers. But your God knows what you need. And if God isn't different than no God, then what are we doing? If your worry as a Christian isn't less than the worry of somebody who is not a Christian, what are you What are you doing? doesn't make any sense. It's not real. Because your heart can't be in both places. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And your heart will tell on you. Right? The heart of an unbeliever is going to worry about these things and strive for these things and focus on these things because nobody else will. But you have a father in heaven who already knows your needs. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. He will take care of you. Everything you need. Listen, not everything you want. Everything you need. It's what he promises. It's the command with the promise that's attached to it. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's the command. Seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and God will take care of everything that you need. It does not need to be your concern. And he ends with this. He just says, "Um, so don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And you're like, well, that's encouraging. That's awesome. Thanks, God. It actually is encouraging. It's meant to be encouraging. You're like, how is that meant to be encouraging? Tomorrow has more trouble. I'll just focus on today's troubles because tomorrow will bring more troubles. Yes, they will. Right? Be wise, do your part, and then let go. Will there be trouble tomorrow? Sure. But is God still going to be gracious tomorrow? Yeah. Is God still going to provide tomorrow like he provides for today? Yeah, remember Israel when they wandered in the wilderness and and God fed them with manna from heaven, bread from heaven. What happens when they collected two days instead of just one day? You remember? God said, just collect enough to eat today. Whatever you collect today, you eat today. Some of them didn't believe God when he said that. So what they did is they collected enough for today And enough for tomorrow. Because here was their thinking. What if God doesn't come through tomorrow? They're like, I better worry about it. Because if I don't worry about it and God doesn't come through, I'll be hungry. Everything extra they kept overnight filled with maggots. But God, every day, did what he promised to do. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. Today has got enough for today. But God says, I have grace for you today and just trust me because I will have grace for you tomorrow. That's the promise. You worry about your kids? Just worry about today. God will have grace for you tomorrow. You're worried about the what if of your health? Be wise. I know that feels disingenuous coming from me, but be wise. Be healthy. But you don't just sit here and stress about your health. God will have grace for you tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There will be troubles tomorrow, but God will be there. This is what Jeremiah says. This is what he promises in Lamentations 3. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Some of you just wish I would sing. I'm not gonna. Except to say this, morning by morning, new mercies we see. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I hope in him. This is Jeremiah basically summing up what Jesus has been saying. Jesus has been saying, stop worrying about these things. Your treasure doesn't belong here on earth. Your treasure is in heaven. Your life is more than just what you get and what you have right now. If you're only worried about what you get and what you have right now, that is an idol and you need to kill it. You need to store for yourself treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And yes, tomorrow will have problems. But you don't have to worry about tomorrow's problems right? Because every day when you wake up, God is faithful. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never run dry. His grace and providence will be true tomorrow just as it was true today. His mercies begin every day. Therefore, we have hope in the Lord. This is my encouragement to you as we close today. Is your hope in the Lord? Or is your hope in you? Because this is really what we're talking about. Is your hope in you? And you're like, I don't think my hope is in me. How would I know that? Well, where are your treasures and where is your worry? Because if you've got a lot of worries about these things and you're focused on your treasures here on earth... And you're not trusting God's providence and provision day by day. Then your heart's in the wrong place. But if you're being wise and letting go of worry and trusting God. And you're stewarding what he gives you well. Then your treasure is in heaven. But you can't serve two masters. This is my challenge for you as we close. Which masters are you serving? Think this through. And if it's the wrong master, then it's time to lay it down and follow Jesus. And yeah, there will be trouble tomorrow, but his mercy is new every day. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. We thank you that great is your faithfulness. And that the the love of the Lord never ceases. And that your mercies are fresh every morning. God, we thank you for the fact that we don't have to strive and worry about these things. Because when we seek first your kingdom, you will give us what we need. God, we thank you that, that our life is so much more valuable than this temporary life that we live. That our life is worth so much more than the things we can accumulate. God, I pray that you'll help me and those of us here remember that we are stewards of your grace and that you have given to us out of your graciousness so that we can be generous, that we can seek first your kingdom. Father, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word and we ask you to help bring it to fruition in our hearts. God, so that we can be firmly and wholly planted and rooted in you. We love you. We praise you. Amen.